Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. We are all in this together. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Welcome to Neurodiverging. Thank you all so much for tuning in with me again today. If you're new here, I'm Danielle Sullivan and I'm your host. Neurodiverging is dedicated to helping neurodiverse folks find the resources we need to live better lives as individuals and to further disability awareness and social justice efforts to improve all of our lives as part of the larger world community. If you're interested in learning more, you can please hit the subscribe button to make sure you're notified when there's a new episode. Go to neurodiverging.com and sign up for my mailing list and or check out Neurodiverging on Patreon. I run the podcast and blog by myself, so come be one of my first patrons and support this podcast. I would especially love to give a huge thank you to Teresa, David, and Zach, who are all now supporting Neurodiverging through their monthly donations on Patreon. I could not do it without you. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you so much, the three of you. Today, I am really pleased and honored to be joined by Reverend Catherine Clarenbach. Catherine is a white, fat, cis woman, a sovereign queer femme with ADHD, bipolar disorder, well-managed mental illness, and trauma from sexual assault. She is also an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister and an initiate in the tradition of Stone Circle Wicca in the United States. She spent four years in discernment with an order of Roman Catholic religious sisters and is trained and credentialed as a spiritual director. In this interview, we're talking about creating safe spiritual and religious spaces for autistic, ADHD, and other neurodivergent folks, as well as our favorite house cleaning hacks for folks with executive dysfunction like us, and how to keep a fruitful, fulfilling relationship with a partner who is a different neurotype than you are. Two quick notes before you go into this episode. First, I want to apologize for the audio quality in the first half of the interview on my side. I had a mic malfunction, but it is still, if not beautiful, very comprehensible. Um, Additionally, I want to mention that we have one instance of a swear word used further on in the podcast. If you're a parent and you're listening with children, you may want to listen ahead, but I do think it's a reasonably acceptable kind of language for somebody, say, 12 and above, and maybe younger with parental supervision. So here is my interview with Reverend Catherine Clarenbach. I hope you enjoy it. Can we start off by just having you tell me a little bit about yourself and your work? Absolutely. Um, As you know, I'm Catherine Clarenbach, and sometimes I'm Reverend Catherine Clarenbach in the Unitarian Universalist tradition. And I'm also an initiate of Stone Circle Wicca, which um, is an organization of which I've been a part for the last 20 years. And in my work, 
my my main work is for people who are uncomfortable or ambivalent or alienated in religious spaces but who want to deepen their spirituality so for example in terms of neurodivergence i have had a spiritual deepening group and it was five folks who were autistic and we worked together for some time um just to develop a, a learning community honestly for for each other so that i could learn from them they could learn from me and we could all learn from each other you know one person sits quietly and doesn't have a lot to say and but really wants to be there and listen another person drew beautiful pictures while we talked another person had a cordless headset so she could walk around while we were on the call so working with folks who are autistic particularly really helped me broaden how i talk about my small groups that people who are in groups with me need to know that they're an empowerment based group mm -hmm. You know, like if people need to get up and walk around, get up and walk around. <laughs> Sometimes the simple things can make a really, really big difference. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think in terms of making a space feel comfy mm -hmm. and safe, if somebody needs to be stimming somehow, that's fine. <laughs> um, I have a, a friend who carries a piece of um velvet oh, that because nice. it's so nice right don't you love that <laughs> yeah that's, i do like that i'm I, not a super tactile person but that's one of those things yeah. I, I should do it <laughs> i should do it i'm not autistic myself i should say for your listeners benefit i do have adhd and my wife would say that I have a roaring case of ADHD, but I don't know. That's adorable. True. <laughs> yeah, I. That's really cute. I, I'm trying to think if that applies to my daughter. I feel like <laughs> I guess it depends on your definition of roaring, but she's definitely a very busy, big, active, yeah, high feeling sort of personality. Yes. That yes. might. That might. I think one of the things that I've learned from a very close autistic friend is that I tend to lead with my feelings and impressions. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> right. Don't, don't yeah. do that to me. Don't, don't assume that you know how I'm feeling based on what you see on the outside. Yeah. I know every individual is an individual, but I've definitely had that experience sort of on the opposite side with my partner who has ADHD and leads with his feelings very strongly. And I tend to lead with the logic rationality side. And so we come together and one of us is having a big feeling and I'm sitting here going like, well, what do you want to do about the feeling? What are the right. next three steps we can take to figure out this problem or whatever that's causing this feeling? And right. he's like, no, I need to deal with the feeling first and then I can figure out the problem. So we we do, it has taken us a very long time mm. to sort of 
find a way that we can both be getting what we need with our completely different approaches. And well, yeah. and that's just it, you know, finding a way that we can get what we need with different approaches, assuming that we want to get our needs met and that we want to get each other's needs met and that we're on a team together mm-hmm. is the sort of first step, right? It's the first assumption. Yes. That is necessary, I think, and that a lot of couples are missing. Yeah. I feel very strongly in kind of all of my relational efforts, I guess. I don't know a good word for that, but when I am trying to connect with my children, when I'm trying to connect with my partners, when I'm trying to connect with friends, that the first step has to be you assume you're on a team and that the other person is also trying to be on a team. And then from there, how can we take a step forward out of whatever problem we're having? And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really important. Yeah. And my wife is not autistic, but her father probably is, and her one uncle definitely is. Mm-hmm. And our nephew, <laughs> so annoying. If he had been tested a year before he was tested, mm-hmm. he would have been considered to have Asperger's or whatever you want to however you want yeah what used to be called Um, Asperger's what used to be called (laughs) um but the year that he was tested they had changed the scale of behaviors Mm -hmm. so he wasn't able to receive services um to help him because of the way they changed the scale that's so frustrating yeah and even the word scale is screwed up I realize but um but and I, anyway, I say all this to say that autism and autistic superpowers definitely run in her family. <laughs> and I mean superpowers. Some good things. Yep. I, I mean superpowers like superpowers. You know, <laughs> and one thing that I think that a lot of allistics don't know is that people who are autistic are like the best problem solvers on the planet right sometimes we solve problems too well like i was saying with my partner like sometimes your job isn't to solve problems but as an autistic person that is what i'm good at and that's what i want to be pointed towards it's something i can right you know right yeah well and i know it can be very helpful it can be mm-hmm. helpful unless people are needing to just take a breath (laughs) right it's definitely one of those things I had to learn as an adult in adult relationships is to let people have their feelings because I'm a slow feelings processor so obviously I have feelings but my my initial reaction is always solve this problem after the problem is solved then have feelings about the problem in a space where I can kind of calm down which you know like is not the way like my autistic son or other autistics I know do things but it's the way my brain works but it's sort of the reverse of how many other people how they process the world how they yeah come at the world so can we back up a little bit and just um we talked a little bit about how your work intersects with the neurodivergence neurodiversity community but what about your own neurodivergence yeah absolutely I mean the the interesting thing with me is that I have both mental illness and neurodivergence. Mm-hmm. And identifying 
how they're different and where they overlap has been a real challenge in my life and continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I have bipolar type one, and which, uh, are we allowed to swear in your podcast? fine. I put a little thing. If people swear, then I put a little thing. And if people don't swear, then I don't put a little thing. Yeah. It's totally up to you. Okay. (laughs) This is really rude language that I would never encourage anyone to use about another person. Check. Um, But I had a dear friend who has the same lengthy diagnosis that I do that I won't go into in detail. But he said it basically boils down to batshit crazy. <laughs> and, and you're allowed to call yourself those things. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> never encourage anyone to say that about another person. Yeah. Let me be crystal clear. <laughs> just don't edit it down to my saying just no, no, that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be bad. Oh, gosh. No, um, I promise. <laughs> but learning that I had ADHD. Well, I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar until I was 31, Um, even though I had said in my late teens to mental health professionals, I think I have manic depression. Nobody listened to me. I was um, a victim of medical psychiatric malpractice. In fact, it was really bad. And then finally, um, many years later, uh, I was diagnosed with ver- various salad elements of mental illness, but it wasn't until after that that I was finally diagnosed with ADHD. And so many things made sense. The click you get with the diagnosis. Finally. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing that folks need to understand. Like, we don't necessarily need a doctor to tell us our experience. No. But it can be helpful to have a tool, right? Absolutely. That's all. That's all it is, is a tool. And for me, it was a very useful tool because it, it, it's a hammer, right? It nailed down, (laughs) it nailed down some of the most persistent patterns in my life. Do not make me do housework. <laughs> I mean, some housework just has to be done. It just must be done. But I have a really hard time parsing complex visual fields. Mm-hmm. I also have a hard time, this is interesting, parsing um, stuff that's not colorful, mm-hmm. like files, for example, in a filing cabinet. Yeah. If they are not color coded, I can't. I can't find things. Um, and I, um, in, before I was diagnosed with either set of things, I had a job working for an AIDS service organization in West Virginia, and I had this huge stack of things I had to file. And I opened the filing cabinet drawer and I put the the pile of files down and I just started to cry mm-hmm. like literally the sight of these files 
needing to be organized brought me to tears. Yep. You know, I just could not handle it. I could not handle it. It was really awful. Now, since then, there's tons of books written about ADHD. And more of them, I think, are helpful to men, people who identify on the masculine side. Mm -hmm. Um, Because many, many people who are identified as boys get assigned as having ADHD because they show physical what is called hyperactivity. Yeah. Whereas with girls, often our minds are doing the hyperactivity and, but we may not be showing it in the same way physically. And so we slip between that crack Yeah. right there and we don't get um, help that would be helpful. Very similar for autistic women. But I do want to plug a book, if that's okay. Yeah, please do. I did not write it. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, it's, it's, it's not even new. It's called um, ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life. I have read that book. Isn't I that funny? It's book. Kohlberg, right? Judith Kohlberg. I think I, so, yes. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is a good book. I read that trying to ha- figure out a housework system with my partner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we do not approach, we both have trouble with housework. We do not approach it the same way. And I, I did, I did find it really helpful. So yeah. that's funny. Well, learning that like things that I thought that I knew would help me, but that I felt ashamed about mm-hmm. like body doubles. Just having someone in the room with you, having staring someone at in- you. I need that. I have friends whose job it is to come over and stare at me until I do the thing. And it that really works. Fantastic. It really works. That it works. Why does it work? I don't know. I have but no idea. I have no idea. Um, having a body double. Julie will, like, say I'm trying to tidy my office. Right now it's beyond help, I think. But um, <laughs> say I'm t- trying to tidy my office. She'll say, okay, honey pick up one thing and I'll be like I don't know what thing to pick up and she'll say it doesn't matter close your eyes stretch out your arm first thing you touch and where does it go and I'll put it in a place and then she'll say okay pick up another thing and then she'll go away and she'll start working on her housework until I'm to the point where I'm like uh honey I need help again what do I do next yeah (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what to pick up because everything that's left is a boxy charm makeup box, yeah. <laughs> or something without that doesn't have a home yet. Because right, it doesn't have a home exactly. I never learned that thing when I the there's the the house I grew up in. My parents worked full times. So we didn't have homes for stuff, and we didn't have as much stuff as we do in my household now. And um, I didn't realize there should be homes for things until I was maybe 30 yeah. and it was way too late like I had already established you know the non-home sort of not helpful <laughs> patterns in terms of keeping yeah the house. and then when I had kids it was like because everything exploded and right. um, I'm still learning like okay if I want to keep this thing it has to have a home where do I it has to have a home um, it's Ooh, so hard though it's so hard to do like it's helpful and I you know recommend people try it out but is it easy to do and just like put it into your routine it's like no no it's really hard but the other thing the other thing we do 
and some people will be like totally rolling their eyes at me. <laughs> we do 1545s. Mm-hmm. So I say that and people think I mean we clean for 45 minutes and then we have a break for 15 minutes. That is not what I mean. You got to do it the other way. That's what we do. I mean, we clean for 15 minutes (laughs) and then we have 45 minutes off and we can play on Facebook. We can watch a whole episode of some shows if we wanted to, um, they're often 43 minutes long. And then we get up and clean again. It is amazing yeah. what you can accomplish in 15 minutes. I know if it. you know, <laughs> you only have to do it for 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Because the problem for people with ADHD, at least the problem for this person with ADHD, is that cleaning looks like it's going to take forever. Like it's this endless because it is endless. You gotta do threat. it every single day. Uh, <laughs> I can't think about it that way. I just yeah. Yeah, you have to segment it. But, but if I think about it in terms of fifteen minutes, and then I'm like, wow, we did a lot in fifteen minutes. Okay, let's just mess around for a little while. I'm ready for another fifteen minutes because one of the things that stops people with ADHD or that sucks us in so that we can't get out is um, I'm just going to finish this one task. Yeah. Right? I'm just going to do this one thing. Oh, I'm just going to do this one thing. I'm just going to do this one thing and now I'm half an hour late. Yes. Whatever it is I was going to go to. And maybe exhausted by doing the one task for that long. Right. And so time not task is very important as well. Right, time not task. And I think in that, in the book, ADD Friendly Ways to Organize Your Life, she also talks about now and not now. Mm -hmm. Um, How we have now and somewhere in the future, which basically means never. Never. (laughs) I, I have this book, I'm going to put it away, not now. And it has now vanished from my sight. It is invisible Mm -hmm. to me. And one of the things that's been really important for my partner is that she has had to ask herself, does this whatever, what does this thing really matter? Mm -hmm. Like, does it actually matter to her that I leave my clothes in my clothes basket and don't fold them? Mm -hmm. Like, does that actually have any impact on her life at all? I've had to do that too with an ADHD partner. And, and yeah, you know, children. Like, oh, no, it doesn't. Yeah. So it's, it's very freeing. There are some ways that our kinds of brains can get stuck in a pattern of just assuming a thing has to be the way it is. And then mm-hmm. when somebody else points out to us, or at least to me, you know, do you really mean it like this? Or are you just used to it this way? And I'm like... Mm-hmm. I'm just used to it. I can change it. It's fine. But until somebody else comes in and says, mm-hmm. you know, hey, have you considered doing this differently? Or have you considered that you don't need to put so much energy into wishing it were this other way? Right. Sometimes I just won't consider that on my own. Like my mm-hmm. brain likes its little 
its little routine or little um I can't think of the word yeah routine or little spots like it has these little bits that it just gets stuck in and I'm right. in those little spots and then if somebody pushes me a little bit I get out of the spot it's fine I'll uh, find a new spot yeah you kind of we're making physical gestures that won't translate to podcasts that won't yeah. translate over the phone I'll draw a graph in my podcast notes for those who are interested <laughs> They were like little ridges, <laughs> little ridges, little ridges and valleys mm-hmm. that we were hopping so out of. You're stuck in the valley, but then when somebody else pushes you, I guess up the hill, you just find another valley, and it's fine. It's not a big deal, <laughs> but it feels like a big deal initially being pushed yeah. out of the valley. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> and I need to do things that feel challenging, you know, um, and. If I have a body double, I can almost always do them. Mm-hmm. For me, that is huge. But unfortunately, Julie doesn't actually like being a body double, but she's fine with working nearby, doing her own thing. Yeah. And so that works. That's mm-hmm. close enough. I had a friend who has since moved, which is unfortunate, but she, um, she doesn't have a diagnosis, but I would say she's neurodivergent. I think she would agree. And we used to just take turns. So uh, if she felt stuck on a task, I would go over there and stand there with her while she did it. And if I felt stuck on a task, she would come over and stand with me while I did it. And that was extreme. It's very hard to find. I have not found anyone to replace her, <laughs> but it was very helpful. So yes. yeah, if you're listening and you think that might be helpful to you, ask your friends that it won't, some of them will be so thrilled that you asked. Some of them will be so thrilled to have somebody else to help them to stand there. So don't be afraid. Yes. <laughs> yes. And also people are willing to do things for their friends. Absolutely. They can just come read or right. Even if they don't need need it themselves. Yeah. If you said, Can you come over and sit on my couch? I will make you a drink, have a lounge while I break down these Amazon you know, big evil boxes <laughs> of uh, presents that have been delivered to our house yes. for the, in yes. December. Like right now, I'm looking at a pile of boxes. Uh, and it's hard. Yeah, that's a hard one because you don't even know what's in them. You don't know what you're going to have to do with them once they're unpacked. I know. Just, I don't there's know so many. That's terrible. There's so many mini choices. Yeah. I remember having a friend come over and sit on my couch and watch Netflix while I organize my bookshelves because they yes. were making me upset. They were in in such a way that I couldn't find the books I wanted. Um, mm. And I'm a reading junkie. I need my books. But I couldn't find anything I wanted. But I also spent six months avoiding organizing the bookshelf uh-huh. and just looking at it and getting upset at myself. So I was like, come sit on my couch and watch Netflix while I do this. And then it was done and it was wonderful. And they didn't care. They got to sit and watch TV. Like, you know, yeah. it was really good. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> the body level is a powerful one. Yeah. Um, I I think breaking things down into the smallest, sometimes the smallest possible yes. increment is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really helpful. And sometimes that increment seems ridiculous but it still counts. And people with ADHD have so much shame and, you know, neurodivergent people of various kinds have been taught to be ashamed of ourselves 
for living the way that we do and feeling the way that we do and thinking the way that we do and presenting the way that we do. And I know that I learned really young that unless I did a whole task or whatever, it didn't matter. It didn't count. Yeah. And so it's really been liberating to give myself a little pat on the back, give myself some sparkle points (laughs) for just breaking down three boxes and putting them where they go. Absolutely. It counts, Mm -hmm. right? It counts. Yeah. I think I get a lot of I get a lot of looks from neurotypical parents in in public spaces when we're not in COVID, but (laughs) in the past I have for what probably looks like overpraising my children for small things. But Mm. the fact is that they are working so hard on things that seem small to neurotypical people. That's right. Like just saying hello to people. Like my autistic kid doesn't want to say hello. To be honest, I don't want to say small talk is boring. The pleasantries are boring. It takes a lot of energy and yeah. time. And we could be talking about something interesting. Why am Real. I just saying hello to you? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I understand it's important. And obviously I've had more experience than my son has in how how you need to sometimes compromise to have a relationship with other kinds of people and other kinds of brains. But just because a neurotypical kid can walk up to somebody and say hello maybe they deserve praise, maybe they don't. But my kid, if he, if he walks up to somebody and says, hello, you know, how are you? My name is, that's huge. And that requires, or that deserves so much praise from me and from his dad. And I feel like part of that is just not wanting the expectations for my kids to be neurotypical expectations because they're not neurotypical. And also just wanting to show them that you can do a small thing. Even if you don't say, hello, my name is, you know, what's your name? The whole thing. If you just say hello. Just say hi. Hi. If you look at somebody and wave, you know, even making eye contact some days is obviously very difficult for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. That's huge, you know, in terms of establishing um, a relationship with somebody new. And yeah. I want them to know that, you know, I'm proud of them for making that effort because it is just as hard for them as it is for, you know, a neurotypical person to do something else. I'm trying to think of an autistic or ADHD example of something that's not hard for, for us, but, uh, you know. Seeing patterns. Yeah, patterns. Yeah, that's a good example. Pattern recognition. That's a really good example. Yeah. My kid doesn't get so much praise for pattern recognitions because he sees them all the time. And it's great that he can do it. But, you know, am I going to praise him every single time? No, yeah. it, it's great. But it's like, you know, I know you know how to multiply fours in your head. It's just a thing he's done since he's little. It's awesome, but it's not like every single time I'm going to say, great job, you know? But right, hello right. is huge, yeah. Well, and pattern recognition is so funny. <laughs> and context. This is why I think when I was talking about my in-laws, pattern recognition, they all yeah. are like the kings and queens and other sovereigns <laughs> of pattern recognition. And I am clueless. <laughs> I am just, you know, I'll say to Julie, how did you know that was going to happen? <laughs> I like every six months. It's yeah. like you're psychic. <laughs> and uh, I have a conversation <laughs> with my partner a lot too. Like, yes, you do it every six months. We have this problem and it's about six months. So we were about to have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's just part of the routine of you know being in that partnership but it is it's really interesting yeah it is well and you know I you mentioned um expectations Mm -hmm. and I was of course I always am thinking of things in a in a religious or spiritual context and one of the things that I have noticed is that religious contexts are set up most often so that you are expected to look people in the eye, say hello, tell them your name, and touch them, and maybe hug them. And that that is the the expectation. I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to swerve us there soon. So yeah, good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it can be really alienating for a lot of different types of neurodivergent brains to come into sort of, especially like the kind of traditional Protestant, yeah, uh, non-Catholic Christian sort of space. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to sit. I'm I was raised Un- Unitarian Universalist. Oh, um, which is and, the yeah, in which I am a minister. Yes, exactly. And um, but I hugging. Yes. And even the like holding hands and the, you know, you're, when you, when you turn and say hello to your neighbor, you're supposed to, it's somebody you've never met. You have like a minute and you're supposed to make eye contact and be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. I am now wasting my entire day's energy trying to like, right. you know, like I care about that person in the sense of I care about lots of people, but I, I don't actually, I would rather have an actual conversation with them you know, at coffee hour or something about something real, then be like, hello, I'm now spending all of my mental energy trying to look like a neurotypical person for you for 30 seconds. For 30 um, seconds. Yeah. And then masking work. Yes. And it's really mm-hmm. exhausting. And people yeah. have, have, neurotypical people have no idea how much work that it's exhausting. Yeah. And you're also meant to sit in the place and only stand up when you're supposed to stand up, sit down when you're supposed to sit down and, you know, not try to disrupt the congregation too much by moving in and out of the room. I used to bring my children to the like nursing room, (laughs) not because we were nursing, but just because it was a space where we could still hear and see the service, but we were not bothering anybody when they were talking or yelling or uh, my son does vocal stims, which Mm -hmm. I'm used to, but. Uh, it, other people find rude because they don't understand what he's trying to accomplish. And that was, that's really difficult in a lot of different religious contexts mm-hmm. or spiritual contexts. I remember reading, it was a U- Unitarian Universalist congregation and they specifically said on their homepage, mm-hmm. on their accessibility section of their homepage, which first of all, hello, accessibility section of their homepage <laughs> they're already doing better than everybody else they're trying yeah yeah <laughs> um they had they said if you prefer or if you need to move around or talk or um in any other way feel more comfortable please feel free to go to this room next door that will have the ceremony, the service projected on a screen, but you can be in there and feel more comfortable. Go right ahead. No questions Mm -hmm. asked. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, it wasn't like, if you have small children, you can do this. Yeah. 
it wasn't an expectation that only small children or only nursing moms or only little kids, you know. I absolutely used my small children as an excuse to go to the room because, I mean, to be fair, they were loud and they, you know, they were nursing and sometimes they had to change their diaper and it was nice to have that room and I'm glad it existed for parents. But also, you know, there are plenty of people who aren't parents who would just like to be in a smaller space or a more enclosed space. But I also still felt frustrated because even if the minister um, would have understood if I were walking around during service or maybe mm-hmm. making vocal stims or flapping my hands or whatever, mm-hmm. I felt like the congregants would not necessarily right. understand. Like there was a gap in expectation or uh, uh-huh. assumption between the the, the lead, um, the worship leads right. and the congregation. And that's hard to bridge sometimes. It is hard to bridge, but I think it's important to try to bridge. It is. I agree. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I think part of how you do that is you put it on front and center on your homepage of your website. And part of how you do it is you preach about it, right? Let folks know that it's a thing. Neurodivergence exists. And that most presentations of autistic people in our culture are really limited and limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you know, I have learned, I talked about this before about superpowers. In the last five years, I have learned so much to respect and admire and honor about autistic people. And one of the things that interests me is the fact that quote unquote, people with autism refer, prefer Mm -hmm. to be called autistic people often. On the whole, yep. On the whole. And tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) My understanding is that it's so central it's like so embedded in personality and understanding and ways of thinking that it doesn't feel like it's a separate thing that you carry around with you it it it's you're an autistic person yeah that's my experience and i think reflects the experience of a lot of obviously there are people who prefer person with autism and that's mm-hmm. i think people should self identify how they want but my experience of my autism is that it is it's the way I think, like, I can't separate the way I process the world from who I am as a person. They're the same thing for me. And the way I process is very, very deeply affected by the fact that I'm an autistic person. I process and uh, integrate things into my personality differently than I, I understand neurotypical people do having not had the experience of being a neurotypical person. Yeah. But whenever I talk to somebody and a lot of my friends are neurodivergent at this point, I feel like you sort of accidentally select towards people who understand your point of view or the way that you think. But um, when I talk to neurotypical people, holistic people, um, a lot of times the way they think feels very alien, almost like I can't really figure out how they got from point A to point B. It's, it's completely why they didn't get to point B or what? Yeah. Or that, or (laughs) like the patterns again is a good example of this, having this conversation with my partner every six months of like every six months we have, you, you, you get upset about this one thing. 
and and it's okay but that's just like it just happens you know um mm-hmm. and him not being able to recognize that and it's like well there's fantastic things about my partner he's good at so many things that i am terrible at and he has a lot of um of adhd superpowers that i absolutely absolutely do not have but our brains are really really different and thinking i can't think of him without his adhd I can't think of myself without being autistic. I think right. we would be different people. I don't know how ADHD people feel about the whole, about, you know, it's a yeah. little different than, yeah. I kind of don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's also very fair. Yeah. Like I just, sometimes people talk about ADHD years. Yeah. I've heard I just that. We haven't developed really good language, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's true. I absolutely would not be the person people understand to be Catherine Clarenbach if I didn't have ADHD. Mm-hmm. I absolutely would not. Um, and so it makes it would make sense for me to have similar language, but I don't really think that we have it yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I sometimes think that's a problem with autism too, is that we have good evidence at this point that there's lots of different kinds of autism. They just tend to get grouped under the same thing. And I believe I'm not a neurologist. I believe that's the same for ADHD that we have. We think that there are, we, I know that there's like three types. There's the inattentive and, you know, hyperactive and combined. And, but I think realistically, there's a lot more types than that. And it's Mm -hmm. just, we're not there yet scientifically or medically. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like maybe once we get some more clarity there, it will be a little easier to have language for it. But now it's just this kind of cloud of traits. <laughs> and it's like, right. how do you have language about an ever shifting, ever moving sort of amorphous blob mm-hmm. of character mm-hmm. traits floating around? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like my might- <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said one time, I don't have attention deficit. Yes. I have attention too much. Yes. Right, that. Like yeah. That I'm thinking too many things at one time, mm-hmm. and I sometimes say that I feel like I need more than one mouth to answer a question. Yeah, and it's really hard because to get out the words, to think through, especially because I'm an extrovert and an external processor. Sometimes I have to talk my way to the answer. Yeah, but if I already have three ideas. <laughs> It's really hard to talk my way to the answer. Yeah. You know, so. And the other thing that that I think is really important to say is that the partners of people with ADHD get a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're just, so-and-so is just being controlling and rigid and you should be able to fly and be free. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, it really bugs me, especially because one of the things I have learned is that, you know how in um, like bicycle racing, you can draft someone. I don't know that much about bicycle racing. The language is, it's when you ride right behind someone Okay. and you get some of their speed because of the way the air flows around them mm-hmm. and it's called drafting. Okay. I can draft on my wife's sense of routine. Mm-hmm. She knows that she needs structure and routine. 
And I do so much better when I have routine, but my entire being is like, ah, (laughs) no. ah." (laughs) But because Julie knows that structure and routine are helpful, like if it's a weekday and it's not vacation, we have breakfast at quarter after six. Mm -hmm. We have lunch at 11. (laughs) right like you have the schedule yeah yeah I have a schedule and um and I actually take a siesta and it's in my schedule in my Mm -hmm. calendar and it and I calendar around it right I schedule around it routine is like magic it's so amazing and it makes me understand why it's so important for kids yeah in terms of their development Julie says, if ever, Julie is like the topic of this podcast today. <laughs> That's okay. I actually like this, but okay. Um, it's important. Yeah, and she's <laughs> the queen. Um, <laughs> if we all treated ourselves like cherished toddlers, we'd be much better off. Yes. Oh, I am I hungry? Do I have to go to the bathroom? Do I need a drink? <laughs> Should I lie down? Yeah. <laughs> like right like just, you literally just quoted the list I tell my children whenever anybody has a problem or a feeling that seems too big for whatever precipitated mm-hmm. the feeling obviously you're allowed to have feelings but as neurodivergent people I'm always like did you pee did you eat did you drink did you sleep you know like those <laughs> the go to right, right. Like go down the list of, of physically what you might not be noticing about your body before, yeah you know well, and and that is definitely something that <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast, but <laughs> people with ADHD run the risk of doing the pee pee dance more yes. than other people. I think <laughs> that is my experience as well with my ADHD friends because because we're like distracted by everything. I'm just going to do on. this one more thing. Yeah. It'll be fine. And then yeah. you're like, oh my god, it wasn't fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that developing that learning and as an autistic person too, like we have that hyper-focus, it's mm -hmm. it's similar sometimes too. Yeah. And, um, having, having that list of like, or the pattern of checking in with my physical Mm. self is so important (laughs) to exactly that. Cause I won't eat. I won't remember to drink water. I maybe don't won't pee for most of the day. Just if I don't, uh, explicitly make it a point to check like, have I yep. done these things I'm supposed to do? How is my body? Yeah. Yeah. It's really Absolutely. tricky. I know we're hitting close to your, your time. I thought maybe we could like do some of the, the takeaway stuff. Sure. Cause I want to make sure that we have a chance, especially to share where people can find you. Yes. My fabulous, beautiful new baby, the way of the river.com. I've had the URL forever and I've had websites there forever, but just got a new website done on it. And it's so pretty. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So everyone needs to go there. Everyone needs to go there just to see how beautiful it is. If you have any kind of like color appreciation, enjoyment, I, for the first week I had it, would go to it just to look at it. (laughs) That sounds really, (laughs) really excellent. (laughs) like not to get information just to look at the pretty <laughs> um so the way of the is my homepage home site 
and I'm doing a retreat on December 19th called Going Into the Dark. And if you go to the homepage, there's a link to it on the very tippy tippy top of that page. So I also have a Facebook community, which is the Way of the River community. Um, we have about 475 people and we are pretty active. We have, um, on Mondays, we do beloved selfies, which is an interesting challenge for some of us who are neurodivergent in particular, just to remind ourselves that no matter how we're looking that day or that morning, no matter how we're feeling or not feeling at that moment, that we are beloved and worthy of being loved. And so we take selfies and post them in this thread and people sometimes remark on how they're doing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I respond to every single one of them. <laughs> um, now, not all 400 people reply. Participate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, it's usually more like 20 or 25. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a very good fun. opportunity though, to check in. It with... is. It is. It's like a little check-in. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I invite people to check that out if you do Facebook. And if you don't do Facebook, more power to you. <laughs> I fully support people not doing Facebook, even though I do a lot of my work there. Yes, I understand that dilemma. I am always struggling with that too. Not wanting to be here, still here. The last thing that I wanted to mention is that in the spring, I teach a class um, I teach it once in the spring and once in late summer, early fall called Making Hard Choices mm -hmm. that is about discernment. And it's a really helpful uh, set of tools. It's about learning tools for how to make difficult decisions. And it can be really helpful for a lot of folks. Yeah. So if you go to the Way of the River or if you become, if you sign up for my love letters that go out on Mondays, um, they, they're with the pretty flower at the bottom of the page. <laughs> That's a good landmark. Yeah, landmark, purple <laughs> flower. You can get a little bit of like sort of a window into how I see the world um, every Monday in your inbox. That sounds excellent. I have to sign up for those. I don't think I am. You do. I saw it. And I thought I should do that. And then I did the thing, which is later. <laughs> so, Danielle, it's been a delight fun. talking to you. I'm so glad. Thank you for being here and making it happen. I'm really pleased. Thank you all so much for being here with me today on Neurodiverging. I'd love to thank Reverend Catherine Clarenbach for joining me and my patrons for supporting this podcast and making it all possible. If you're interested in learning more about the podcast and the blog, please go to neurodiverging.com for a transcript and more information. Please also check out Reverend Catherine Clarenbach at thewayoftheriver.com.